So the passage today is Matthew 1, 18 to 25. If you want to turn to it, I'm going to read it from this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Just turn in pages. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Um, yeah, let me just get sorted. It's always concerning when someone stands up to preach and they've got three different books. Um, don't worry, I'm not quoting from all at length, much. Um, before I start, why don't I pray? Father God, thank you for today, the gift that you have given us. Thank you for your word, that by your spirit you speak to us. Please be with us now by your spirit that we would gaze upon the face of Christ and be transformed as we behold your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Now, I don't know about you, but names are incredibly important. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, I had a very interesting teacher at secondary school. He was my history teacher. Um, he was a very odd gentleman, but he had some very good stories. Um, my favourite story of his was that uh, he nearly got kidnapped by a nondescript terrorist group in the Middle East until they realised that he wasn't British. Now, they should have figured this out because his name was Dr Finnegan. He has a very strong Northern Irish accent and he was carrying an Irish passport. But as soon as he spoke to them, they went, oh, you're Irish. Oh, we like you. Off you go then. Um, but what this, what this story shows is that actually names are really important because they show us something about ourselves. For Dr Finnegan, it meant he was the nice, friendly Irish guy that the terrorists liked. Um, in the case of being a teacher, there are a growing, there's a growing list of names that I know if I ever have children in the future, I can never use because too many of them are... <laughs> I can see Sarah nodding, going, yes. Um, because too many of these names are so closely linked to that one particular student, for good reasons and for bad reasons. But we don't think about names in quite the same way that uh, the Israelites did back in Jesus' day. You see, for them, names really did represent who you were. Um, and this isn't where I'm going to then go into some kind of spiel about why I really am the gift of God. Um, <laughs> thanks for that, Annabelle. Um, but that's to set up that names were really, really important for the Israelites, particularly because God made his name so important to them. Now, if anyone read that passage from Exodus 3, this is where uh, 
Moses is meeting with God at the burning bush. It's the first time that God has revealed himself to the Israelites in about 150 years whilst they've been in Egypt. And Moses's big question is, God, if I go to the Israelites and say, God has sent me to set you free, how are they going to know who I am? And how are they going to trust what I'm going to say? And God's response is, tell them my name. I am who I am, or in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Um, which is meant to represent God's eternal character, his eternal nature, his infinite power that he can do anything he wants to do. Now, we're going to see today that actually names, and one name in particular, has the ability to massively change one situation that would have seen a woman probably left outside of her community, a man hiding in shame, and the world left in ruin. But before we do that, let's have a little bit at, look, look a little bit at the context of the passage today. Sorry if I'm going over quickly. I've only had six hours sleep, and I'm not very good at speaking sometimes. So if I don't make sense, just bear with me, and hopefully I will eventually. So if we look at this passage, uh, Mary and Joseph, we don't really know much about them. We don't know where they came from, but we know that they were betrothed. Now, firstly, betrothed in their context means very different to what it means today. A betrothed uh, in Israelite culture, was the legal contract you would have in marriage. As soon as a couple were betrothed, they were considered married in the eyes of the community and before God. But there's a problem here because Mary has now been found to be pregnant by Joseph. This is the equivalent of the wife saying her wedding vows, signing the certificate, and then cheating on her husband whilst he's off in the garden, getting his pictures taken with the grooms before the wedding reception at the end. That that's how big this situation was seen. She has broken her oaths before God because it's assumed generally, you know, if someone's pregnant, they probably come together, as uh, the ESV very nicely says. Um, and Joseph knows it wasn't him. There's an even bigger problem, though, because Mary is not even willing to say who that was. I had a, a youth worker um, that probably told me too many stories, uh, but one of the stories she did tell me was that when she was a sole survivor, when she was quite young, um, she didn't want to go out with her boyfriend anymore. So um, I think it was the final day, she went up to him very meekly and said, um, yeah, I think God has told me that we need to break up. <laughs> he hadn't, she just didn't like him. <laughs> That's not what's going on here. Joseph would have seen this as Mary lying to his face about who she's had adultery with. That not only has she been unfaithful to him, she can't even tell him who the father is. But thankfully for Mary, Joseph is a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Now, that Greek word for just is dikaios. Um, and now that means someone who faithfully follows God's law, carries out God's law obediently in every situation with wisdom. Um, and if you want to check my definition of that, uh, if we come on to Matthew 13, the word dikaios is translated righteous there, which is contrasted with lawbreakers. So someone who is a dikaios is someone who is a law follower. But this is where we then have a problem, because if anyone's come across arguments against Christianity, the main one that is put forward is there are a load of really outdated laws somewhere in a book that I think begins with L, maybe it's Leviathan, that is really quite not great. And one of the big ones they come up to is the law for adultery was stoning. Not just if a woman was found to be pregnant and had committed adultery, but also the man. But we know from this passage that 
Joseph isn't looking to have Mary stoned. He's looking to divorce her quietly. So how is it that he is a just man? How is it that he is a law follower of God and he is not seeking Mary to be stoned? Well, that's because the Israelites had a very different idea of what law was. We have a view of law that is case study. This is the situation. This is the penalty. But the Old Testament view of law is more one of wisdom. This is the maximum penalty. In the worst case scenario, this is what you go for. But it relies upon the wisdom of teachers and elders to then adapt that to the situation, taking into account the circumstances. You see, the Old Testament law gets a bad rap, but actually it has built in it God's character of grace and mercy. Mercy being what people not getting what they deserve. Grace being people, people getting things that they don't deserve. And we see that here with Joseph. You see, Joseph looks to divorce Mary. Mercy. He's not giving her what the law says he could require of her, which is stoning. But he also shows her grace in trying to do it quietly. He is trying as much as possible to avoid the shame that she would receive from the community. Even if she weren't stoned, she would never be part of society again. But he's also looking to then set her up for the rest of her life. Hopefully she would have a good start. If, if Joseph was a good law follower, if he was building in this concept of grace and mercy and applying wisdom, he would leave Mary because she's broken his trust, but he hasn't ruined her life. She can restart. She will be accepted back by her family. They'll assume something else has gone wrong in the marriage. The problem is that's not what a Christian does. That's what a good Old Testament Jew does. That's not what a Christian does. And this is where we then pick up this idea of why names are so important. So we see that Joseph was considering these things. As an aside note, I think our society would be much better if we just paused to consider these things. Especially since the, the word used for considered has these undertones of anger. Joseph was seething with rage, yet he paused to think and to consider. And then he has a vision from an angel. Now, an angel of the Lord, any Jew would know. Sorry, I'm doing this a lot, aren't I? Any, any Jew would know, an angel of the Lord, this is God's messenger. This is the person that comes and tells you and you listen to because this is the person who's going to speak God's words to you. And the first thing the angel says is, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, we might find that odd. I don't know if you do. I, I do. Why on earth would Joseph be afraid to take Mary as his wife? Well, probably because the same shame that would be attached to Mary if he did divorce her would be attached to him if he didn't divorce her. Society would look at him and say, he's someone who doesn't even care about his own oaths enough to do the right thing. He would then not be able to provide for Mary as a husband and a father because who would employ someone who can't keep their own oaths, who doesn't uphold God's oaths? The angel particularly says, do not fear, because what they have to say next is going to deal with that fear and deal with that shame. Because that which is conceived in Mary is conceived from the Holy Spirit. You see, Mary wasn't lying. She wasn't obscuring the truth by not even telling him the name of the father. Mary really has become pregnant without having sex, and this child is from God. But you see, at this point, Joseph could still leave. He could go, okay, fair enough. Mary's not guilty of what I think she's guilty of, but I can sneak out the back door quietly. This is where the angel then brings in another element of Jewish culture. 
You see, in Jewish culture, it was the father that named the child. The father gave the child standing in society. They were recognized by society because the father then named them, and that was part of them being brought into society. So it's not just that Joseph shouldn't leave, it's that he needs to stay. There is something about this child that means Joseph has to be there to name this child. And he's going to, he has to call this child Jesus. Now, Jesus was actually a fairly common name at the time in the Middle East. Um, it's, uh, Jesus is a, a kind of a, a Greek um, and an anglicized version of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which is coming up on the screen right now. Isn't that fancy? Um, now, Yeshua is actually a contraction, a shortening of the word Yehoshua, which is the name of Joshua, uh, who is Moses' apprentice. Now, Yehoshua is made up of two points. Firstly, the yeh at the start, that's meaning Lord. But it's not just meaning Lord in terms of general master. This is the covenant name of God that God gave to Moses in Exodus. And then we have this uh, Hoshua, which means Hosea, which means he saves. So Jesus literally means the covenant Lord of Israel saves. Now that sounds pretty cool as a name. But there's a, another reason why Jesus needs to have this name. He's not like my friend Blue. So I, I had a friend called Blue at school. Um, and every time someone met Blue, they wanted to know, why on earth did your parents call you Blue? Did they really like the Smurfs? Did they like the band that crashed out of Eurovision? Were they really a fan of that weird drumming group that does things? And to this day, his answer is one of the most dissatisfying things I've ever heard. And it's... They just felt like it. No reason whatsoever. They just felt like it. But that's not the case with Jesus. You see, Jesus needs to have this common name because this name is going to tell you about who he is. You see, for Jesus will save his people from their sins. But this is where the angel gets even more clever. And Matthew actually gets very clever here as well. So in this passage, there is something constructed up called a, a parallel, uh, which is also going to be coming up on the screen now. So in this parallel, we see this in the, the later quotation of Isaiah. Behold, the virgin, virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. We see that same word pattern come up in these verses. And I've highlighted it on this next slide in a lot of really nice fancy colours. Um, but there is a difference. You see, Jesus does not mean Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. It does not mean the covenant Lord of Israel saves. So what is the angel and Matthew trying to point to here? They're trying to point to that actually, this Jesus, he will save them from their sins. He is God with us. This is not just any child. This is not just a promised child from Abraham, from David, from Moses, a child who will be a great king. This is God himself. Joseph, you have to keep this child. You have to stay with Mary because this is God. God has come down to save his people from their sins. You see, we, lots of people have different ideas about Jesus and why he's come. Some people think he's come to be a great teacher. Some people think he has come to establish a political state, primarily in Texas. Some people think that he has come to uh, heal them, give them all the things they need in life. Some people think he has come to establish some kind of diversity, equity and inclusion, perfect utopia. But he hasn't come to do any of those things. 
He's come to save us from our sins. But that word sins is an issue. Um, my mum went to, um, what's that? It's not Weight Watchers, what's the other one? Slimming World. My mum went to Slimming World, and you see, in Slimming World, calories are called sins. Sins are this kind of little thing that, you know, you maybe have on the side. It's your guilty pleasure that really maybe I shouldn't have, but, you know, it's okay if actually I do eventually, um, as you might see from some of these pictures coming up, that if you put sins into um, image searches, these are kind of the different things that are coming up, these kind of odd pictures that make you think there's something going wrong, but it's not that much of an issue. But for Joseph, when he heard he will save them from their sins, one of the stories he may well have thought of is the golden calf. If you're not familiar with this, this is after God has taken uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. As part of taking them out of Egypt, God made it so that the Egyptians willingly handed over their jewellery, their prized possessions, anything of gold, silver, anything of value, and literally said, take this, get out, please leave us alone. But in the golden calf, Moses goes up to meet with God for the Israelites to then know how to live their lives with God. But Moses is gone for about 40 days. And the Israelites start to get a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit unsure about what's going on. And they take the jewellery that God has given them as a gift, as a remembrance of that God has saved them and taken them out of their captivity. They melt it down and they turn it into a golden calf. And then they worship it. You see, for Joseph... And any Israelite who heard someone is coming to save you from their sins, what they heard when they heard sin was the gifts that God has given me, all the benefits that God has given me, my very life itself, everything that I am given so that I can enjoy God, turned around so that I can satisfy my own desires. I can satisfy my own longings. I can do anything I want as long as it is not acknowledging the God who has made me and preserves me and cares for me each day. You see, sins aren't any of those pictures that we saw before. Sin is us taking our very lives, given to us by God as a gift to enjoy and to enjoy him and turning them into things about ourselves. So it wasn't that small issue of Jesus has come to save me from the Bakewell tart I shouldn't have yesterday. It's Jesus has come to save me from who I am. He has come to restore me to a living relationship with God so that I can be truly who I am meant to be and saved from this life of turning inwards and destroying myself and then bearing the penalty from God. But there's one other verse that the angel says. He says he will save his people. He's not just going to save anyone. He saves his people. He saves the people who come to God and say, I have sinned and I need saving. But there's an even more of a link in here with that passage that we have from Isaiah, because Isaiah talks about God's people a lot. But two particular passages that I think are quite important to this passage today. And the first one is from Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You see, to be one of the people of God is not just to care about Jesus' name. It is for God to care about your name. It is for God to say, I want you to be with me. I personally have picked you out. I know your name and I am coming for you. Or even more clearly in Isaiah 40. 
9. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget you, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. To be saved by God, to be God's people, is to be so precious to him that he has written your name on his palm. And then that palm has been nailed to a cross. That's what it means to be God's people. And for anyone who might be struggling with still, but why does he not say save everyone? The, the question that I think Matthew has for you today is, surely it's, why wouldn't you want to be one of those names? Why wouldn't you want to be there on that palm, on that cross, with Jesus? So there's a few things we're going to be doing today as we process this and think about this. We have David with us for communion, where we remember the fact that those names are written on Jesus's palm, a palm that has a nail hole in it that is stained in blood, but is the blood that cleans us, not the blood that condemns us. But we're also uh, going to be doing something else. So if you haven't, if you don't know, G2 is at least nominally Anglican. Um, and I, personally, I think that's quite a good thing because Anglicanism actually has some quite nice words. Um, there, so there's a range of prayers and words that have developed over time. Uh, but there's one particularly for confession. Coming before God, uh, bringing ourselves as God's people, and asking for God to forgive our sins. And I thought it might be quite nice before we go into communion that we say these together. So there's a paragraph I'm going to say. Uh, then there is a paragraph for us to say. Then there's a paragraph I'll say afterwards. Um, once we've done that, I will hand straight over to David. But before we do, I just want to leave you with this thought. Every time you say Jesus this week, you are saying the truth that God saves Every time you pray and you pray in the name of Jesus, you are praying in the name of the covenant God of Israel who saves you, who has your name remembered and graven on his hand. So whilst we think about that, why don't I read these Anglican words? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven and to bring us to eternal life. Let us confess our sins in penitence and faith, firmly resolved to keep God's commandments and to live in love and peace with all. And then if we say this together. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart, we have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon us, pardon and deliver us from all our sins, confirm and strengthen us in all goodness and keep us in eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the covenant God of Israel who saves our Lord. Amen.